right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the weather's clear, can do, can do, this guy says the horse can do, if he says the horse can do, can do, can do. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, July 31st, 2022. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes and Disagreements, will be released in September of 2022 and can be now pre-ordered on Amazon. Also, uh, we have to get an official date on that trivia book, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) It's due on November 30th. We'll see what happens after that. (laughs) Oh, due on November 30th, so you you won't really get it for Christmas. No, not this year. (laughs) So next year. Okay, so we'll talk about it later. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So, I heard a rumor that uh, Music Man went into the cast uh make a cast recording peter and that uh they brought in the big guns like i heard that peter felicia was spotted spotted in the studio yeah um yes there there had been that rumor running around they were just going to record you jack and sutton foster i don't know who started it there was no truth whatsoever and if the entire cast was there um all the way down to um the kids, they're all there. Uh, it was nice to see them. It was nice to see them walking around uh, with such assurance. Um, I don't mean cockiness. I mean assurance. These are, they're already pros. And that was really quite nice. And um, to watch them up there with their headsets on in front of the microphones that had to be lowered to, uh, to get them uh, was, was just endearing. And um, so I was really impressed by that. But, you know, this was at the end of a very hot heat wave that we had here. And it was so funny to hear the lyric, if you ask about our weather in July uh, in Iowa Stubbin, because uh, it was hot at the Manhattan Center. This is at 311 West 43rd Street. It was the place actually where Kurt Viles, The Eternal Road, was actually performed back in the 30s. And Robert Shear said, look, um, he's the producer. I, I do not want to have this situation that happens with so many recordings now where people are simply in glass booths and they don't interact with each other. I want to do it on the stage. That's where they used to do it in the old days. You can take a look at pictures on Masterworks Broadway. You'll see recording sessions. Everybody's together. That's the way I want to do it. So chairs were set up, microphones were set up, and the cast was able to look at each other and interact. And you know, it was really great. Uh, for example, during Rock Island, uh, Sean Montgomery, who plays one of the set traveling salesmen, was um, looking at Lance Roberts, um, who uh, plays another one of the traveling salesmen. But uh, here, Sean was smiling so broadly, so broadly when Lance Roberts was doing the selection on the just a bang beat, bell ringing, big hall, great go, neck of nothing, rip roaring, every time a bullseye (laughs) salesman. The point Mm -hmm. is he he was smiling as if to say, I enjoy you doing this part so much. It's so wonderful. And of course, on stage, he has to be this hard bitten traveling salesman. He can't show that type of emotion. So it was fun to see that happen, that everybody was uh, congratulating themselves. There was no Elaine Stritch and company moment at all. Now, to be fair to Elaine Stritch, after all, the recording session for company took place um, on May 3rd. And uh, take it from one who saw it in Boston on March 2nd. Um, So let's get to rehearsals. So she'd been doing it for three months. These people, of course, have been doing it for seven, eight months, including rehearsals and previews. So to be fair, you know, they were raring to go and they certainly knew their material cold. So all that was needed was really two takes. Um, That's what Robert Shear won. And it was so funny um, that every now and then he'd say, after the first take, 
perfect. Let's do it again. Well, you, one would think it was perfect. You wouldn't have to do it again. But nevertheless, you never know. And of course, the, there was one time and only one time, only one time when uh, you heard the uh, engineer say, um, look, um, um, uh, uh, we, we, we weren't ready. Um, you know, and so they had to do it again. It was so interesting to watch Hugh Jackman <clears throat> and Sutton Foster at that moment, who actually had an attitude of. You know, it's amazing it hasn't happened until now because these, of course, are veterans of recording sessions and um, they're used to stopping and starting and, uh, you know, putting it together piecemeal. I mean, but it was so great to see them uh, saying, well, this is inevitable um, and no problem. I am telling you, if you came from Mars and didn't know who you Jackman was and one would have to come from Mars not to know who Hugh Jackman is, you would never know that he was a superstar in the way that he worked on that stage. There he was, uh, by the way, totally dressed in black, black T-shirt, black pants, and um, again, taking the top of the, the plastic top of the uh, takeout salad and lifting his T-shirt and uh, waving it uh, to uh, ventilate his belly. And... Um, and then drinking from a water bottle and tossing it aside. And I'm thinking, boy, you know, with his lips touching that water bottle, guess what it could go for on eBay? Anyway, he was never a diva. I mean, it was always a case where he was certainly part of the team. You could tell he was the leader, but you could never tell that he had any type of diva qualities about him. That was so wonderful about him. And so many times after two takes, he would actually say, um, Listen, do you mind if I do it again? Is that all right? Can we take the time to do it? I think I can do even better. And I would say that happened at least four times. So <clears throat> he wasn't um, annoyed uh, when, uh, when things went wrong or if somebody screwed up uh, something in his section. No, it didn't matter. It did not matter. The idea was to get this done and get it done right. And um, to say he was uber professional was really, really something. So that was really great. It's so interesting, too, when one thinks of it, that so many people on that stage, virtually everybody on that stage was not alive when the show was um, when it opened on December 19th, 1957. Um, you know, it's so funny how performance numbers have changed in terms of value because it ran 1,375 performances, which then made it the fourth longest running musical, book musical in Broadway history. You know, now it's probably like 50th place, but uh, back then. But it, it was so interesting to think that so many people weren't alive. In fact, so many of those kids weren't alive when Jackman was already a superstar. You know, it was really something to uh, to be aware of that as well. Foster was a quintessential pro as well. Um, really, really quite endearing. And, you know, I, you know, there were very few people there who didn't belong to the production. So I don't think they were putting it on for me. But this is a cast that genuinely likes each other. There was so much affection um, when Sutton Foster came in and saw Marie Mullen, Mama, and they hugged, you know, that type of thing. It was really quite wonderful to see all the affection that went on there. I really, really liked that um, so much to, to know that uh, people aren't um, holding grudges for this. Idea. At least it didn't seem it that day. Um, so that was really quite wonderful as well. And of course, you know, uh, Robert Shear was very uh, respectful of um, you, Jack, Mr. Jackman. No, call me you. And he meant it. Um, there's uh, Patrick Va uh, Vaccariello, who's the uh, conductor, also had a wonderful, well, I can't say bedside manner, the way they say about doctors, but uh, stage side manner. He was so nice with the cast as well in, in guiding them. That was really quite great, too. So, um, but, you know, I reminded, too, of uh, Sondheim's famous bit by bit putting it together, because God knows that applies to original cast albums. It was so funny that um, Jackman's call was for noon. Uh, the chorus was doing um, it's they started with Wells Fargo wagon at nine o'clock. So anyway, Jackman came in at noon and Sutton Foster was called for two thirty. Both arrived early, by the way, I should point out. And um, the thing was, uh, so many sections had already been recorded and now it was time to plug in uh, things that were um, that hadn't been plugged in that uh, Sutton Foster would have to uh, plug in. For example, in Marilyn, Marion, the librarian, <laughs> they recorded twice. You know, because she she chooses um, Harold Till uh, during the song. So to hear her, you know, just, OK, take one, take two. You know, it was very funny. Um, so, um, for example, uh, Wells Fargo Wagon was recorded at 913. All right. And the Barbershop Quartet 
which has the lyric, the DAR have sent a cannon for the courthouse square. That was recorded at 6.31 p.m. You know, so they, it really uh, a bits and pieces type of situation. Um, so uh, that was really quite wonderful, too. So uh, it, it was so much fun hearing the uh, Barbershaw Quartet do that ice cream business they do when they first get together. You know, when Harold says, you know, you have this voice, you have that voice, you know, say ice cream, say it low, you know, that type of thing. Um, hearing ice cream so many times, um, you know, I was reminded of the original leading lady of um, Music Man, Barbara Cook, of course, who almost 60 years ago became famous for singing about ice cream as well, but a very um, different type of thing. So um, so anyway, um, you know, uh, take five. You'd only hear that day if you listen to the Dave Brubeck recording. That's it. I mean, because nobody had to go that far and um, everybody was cooperative and the food they brought in was delicious, too. And a good time was had by all. Really, I I dare say that um, many recording sessions I've gone to have not gone nearly as easily. Um, I'm thinking of one that I wrote about. I'm not going to say who, uh, but. Um, I, the, he was in the uh, booth, as I say, that's the way they do it. Most of the time he was in the booth and, um, and the producer was, I don't mean finicky, but, uh, these producers are perfectionists. They want to be the best they can. This is the permanent record, you know, after all. So, um, you know, uh, take three, take four take five you know he just wanted to get it right he wanted to have alternate takes you never know something can go wrong maybe there's a moment that's a little better on one than, than it is on another and i wrote that, that they were doing melted takes and he wrote me a letter saying you made me look so incompetent that i had to do it over and over and oh. over again you know and that didn't occur to me i see his point of view you know that i, I was just indicating the pr- the professionalism of the producer, but I can see where the actor would make it, would take it in the other way. So I can't argue with that, but um, maybe the way to do these cast albums, even though we like them sooner rather than later is to do them later rather than sooner so that we don't have Elaine Stritch moments and uh, all that goes with that. But all in all, it's going to be quite a recording also because there's going to be a lot of material that has never been on a music man recording, a lot of reprises, a lot of reprises. Um, Quite a bit of dialogue. Uh, don't forget, Marion has that big My White Knight uh, section that we I've never heard before that comes before the conventional My White Knight that we have heard before. And for better or worse, whatever you think about this, uh, the, new, <laughs> the new lyrics to Shibupi. So, um, so it's going to be quite an album. It won't be out for a few months yet, but um, I think it's going to be uh, quite, quite an experience. But um, I, I have to say the experience I had that day is uh, going to remain in my memory for a long, long time. And for me, listening to the album will bring it back. And um, I'm already looking forward to that. Well, for what it's worth, um, I don't think that the stretch moment had anything to do with them not knowing the material fully. Uh, It was really just that it, for some strange reason, they scheduled the ladies who lunch at the end of the session. And it was like two in the morning and she wasn't a singer to begin with. And she couldn't, she had blown her voice out and she was tired and maybe a little, little bit uh under the influence of wine or whatever uh i i know i think she said that uh has she but, really i didn't know that uh so uh you know so whatever that's worth but i really am glad to hear that they didn't use the isolation boots i i think that uh makes for a more theatrical recording uh, under ideal situations and uh peter as you're probably aware manhattan center uh has been the site of many very famous recordings, not only cast albums, but also opera recordings. Uh, Some of the greatest opera recordings ever made were made there in the uh, 50s and 60s. Oh, keep talking. What's one of your favorites? Oh, well, uh, there's a famous recording of La Boheme with Victoria de Los Angeles and UC Burling and John Reardon and conducted by Thomas Beecham. That's the one that that leaps into my head. But Uh there really were many. That was RCA's place to record operas when they recorded them in New York. You know, this brings up something. I have a genuine question here that um, one of you may know, um, but I can't find the information anywhere. Uh, I know that RCA used to record at Webster Hall. And um, right. uh, does anybody know what Capital recorded during those days? I'd love to put that in. Um, I'm writing the line notes for this um, album. That's why I was there. Um, I'd love to know what Capital recorded theirs. I can't find anywhere uh, where that is. Does anybody know where they recorded? Not offhand, no. Okay. Hmm. 
No. Um, so if anybody knows, <clears throat> that is not the trivia question for this week. But nevertheless, if anybody knows, I'd be grateful to uh, to find out. It's interesting that some of those old albums say where they I know. were and others just don't. Yeah. Well, that includes yeah. the music man. Believe me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's uh, that's quite a thing. Uh, Peter, right in the, the liner notes there for this incredibly uh, successful production of the music man. How did how did that come about? Well, um, Robert Sher uh, said he's been reading what I write, and he thought I'd be good for it. So that's good enough for me. And um, uh, I I don't think I'm. Oh wait, um, in fact, um, he did Pretty Bell, and um, I did Pretty Bell because um, I may be uh, the world's number one fan of Pretty Bell, <laughs> uh, having seen it four times in Boston, and um, so uh, so we go back a long way. So anyway, he thought of me for it, and I'm delighted he did. <laughs> you didn't say I'd be surprisingly good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I will be. We'll see. <laughs> well, that's really wonderful, and uh, and we'll keep everybody up to date uh, when it is uh, coming closer to the release date. And uh, I'm sure that there'll be a lot of promotions about that. Um, Michael, it's mm. still in the cast recording. Well, yes, uh, sort not, of, <laughs> not sort of in, in, in the recording uh, realm of musical theater. You found uh, something in, hidden deep in your collection, an Oscar Hammerstein to a Xerox recorded portrait. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it wasn't hidden deep in my collection until uh. I bought it last week <laughs> ah. uh, at this wonderful place called Book Off on 45th Street. Uh, and oh, wait a yeah, Keep talking. 45th and what? <laughs> uh, between uh, 6th and 5th and 6th. Really? North, okay. side of the, north side of the street. God love you. I'll be there this afternoon. I'll oh, yeah, you gap. should go. I mean, they have they have DVDs. <laughs> like, they have like, CDs. Ca- books. Like near Cafe en or... <laughs> Uh, oh, then that's Forty Fourth. That's Forty Fourth. It's one block over and one block up. One block up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, not far from that. Um, yeah, and apparently this was a series of. Uh, it's called a Xerox recorded portrait of Oscar Hammerstein II. Uh, on the back it says, "Oh, and there were there were all all of these were in uh, conversation with this fellow named Arnold." Michaelis, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-I-S. I guess that's how you pronounce it. Um, and it says, in addition to the Oscar Hammerstein one, others in the series included Mr. Michaelis in conversation with Eleanor Roosevelt, Martin Luther King Jr., and Maurice Chevalier. So uh, I guess this fellow was pretty pretty well respected at the time uh, that all these people were talking to him. And this was done. uh, It doesn't say the exact date. It says it was released in 1959, which is uh, the year that Hammerstein died. Uh, So it was obviously recorded sometime before that. And it's really fascinating. um, Just some things I had heard before, but others I hadn't, including this fascinating section. We'll we'll see if we can, um, if I can record it and put it, in the uh, show, uh, in the show notes, so we'll put a link to the to, to the recording. Uh, he uh, Oscar says, um, "Well, would you like to know uh, the reason why Oklahoma failed?" <laughs> uh. And 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 you know, Arnold McHale says, "What?" You know, uh, and he says, "Well, uh, Dick and I used to do this thing where if if the show had failed, we came up with the reasons why it would have failed." Because, you know, first of all, uh, the, the girls' chorus doesn't come sure, in until sure. 45 minutes into yeah. the first act. One of the best songs happens right at the top of the show when people are still coming in and getting their seats. Mm-hmm. The biggest conflict in the first act was who's going to take Laurie to the picnic. You know, uh, it, there were one thing after another, and he just was pointing out how, you know, there are things that can be wrong until they're right. You know, and, uh, there, you know, there are rules, quote unquote, rules when writing things. But sometimes if you break them, you you can it, it works and sometimes they don't. Uh, so it's a really fascinating album. And I'm glad I bought it for a dollar fifty P.S. Wow. Well, you know, um, uh, it brings to mind something else. And I wish there were a recording of this um, in, in the new book that comes out in September. I have the question, what musical that wasn't recorded should have been. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned Love Life and I mentioned uh, Foxy uh, with Bert Lahr. Um, I mentioned Grover's Corners, the um, 
Oh, yeah. Um, Jones and Schmidt uh, version of Our Town. I mentioned it'd be great to have a Call Me Madam with um, Ethel Merman as opposed to Dinah Shore. But the one that I want the most would be it's a tie between the 11 Rogers and Hammerstein properties. And that's um, you say, wait a minute, we have dozens of those. No, what I mean is let's hear the melodies that Oscar Hammerstein had in his head while he was writing <laughs> lyrics before he handed them over to Richard Rogers. Hammerstein's family members who heard them said they were terrible songs. Wouldn't you like to know for sure? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Wow. So uh, I found uh, Book Off has got a website, uh, 49 West 45th Street, and yep. phone number, and the website is in our show notes, and it's in multiple cities. So uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, very nice. Good find, Michael. You can also bring your stuff there to, to sell, uh, you know, stuff you don't need anymore. They don't, they don't pay a lot. Uh, they don't sure. pay as much as mm-hmm. some other places. But, uh, you know, if there's, uh, I don't think they're, especially for books, the places don't tend to pay much anyway. Uh, and they are centrally located and they'll just take everything, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something to care about. If you don't want to just throw things out or mm-hmm. give them away to friends, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. a place to go. Mm-hmm. Mm. Good to know. Thank That's you. That's great. Yeah. Uh, little clarification, uh, Peter and Michael. I found mm. the original thing that made me wonder about the Music Man cast recording. It was a tweet by Kate Ranking, and uh, Kate wrote, The fact that we're getting a Music Man cast recording and not one of the Broadway company cast because of stupid business decisions is going to be my villain original story. So I thought that she was saying that getting a Music Man cast recording, but not with the Broadway cast of Music Man, but she meant Broadway company, the company on Broadway, the uh, oh, Sondheim oh, show. Oh, 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 I was wondering that was how that my, started. Okay. My confusion there. Yeah. But, but yes, we're very sad that company is closing today, and it does, uh, we are not going to get a cast recording of company, uh, but um, just have to live with the London uh, official recording of company. Well, uh, I as think- they say, though, in baseball, it ain't over till it's over. Similarly mm. speaking, um, so there is that situation where if you wait six months to record, you don't have to pay as much money to the people. Mm. It, it, you get a week's salary for doing an album. Yeah. And, right, um, right. And so, uh, but if you wait six months, you don't have to pay them that. So um, we'll see. I mean, chances are there's not going to be a company uh, album, but nevertheless, um, it, it ain't over till it's over. I do think there would have been one if Patty Lapone had not also been on the London recording. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Good yeah. point. That is true. All right. So um, other things that are happening is that uh, um, we heard the news that uh, we, we, I think the three of us have discussed this before that uh, we felt like Mocking, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was not going to come back to Broadway, even though they announced a few times that they were going to. But officially, in the paper of record, the New York Times had a story that uh, Scott Rudin killed the return of Mockingbird to Broadway. Any thoughts about this? I'm just so confused as to how... Uh, wasn't it actually reported that someone else was taking over? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, uh, was that not true? No, they, it seems as though that it was Barry Diller took over. Uh, oh, right. That was Barry, Barry Diller, yeah. Barry Diller took over the ongoing uh, operations of Mockingbird uh, from Scott Rudin, but it, but Scott Rudin, uh, dis, you know, he this wasn't a court-ordered thing or anything like this. This was a voluntary thing that Scott Rudin had uh, asked Barry Diller to take over, and he's reinserted himself into the production and said... Uh, basically, that uh, I think the quote from the New York Times article is that um, Scott Rudin says that this is not going to be uh, a good financial year for plays on Broadway. Right. So um, uh, it was too much of a financial risk to reopen Mockingbird, but the national tour will continue, and the other productions around the world will continue. That it just went. They just decided to wind up the uh, New York uh, Broadway engagement. Well, you just made a good point that I think some people have maybe forgotten, including myself, that that none of the uh, stepping down uh, that Scott Rudin supposedly did from all of these shows, Music Man, uh, Mockingbird, etc., none of that was court ordered. 
Mm-hmm. It was all so that would explain how he can just reinsert himself. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, I agree so, with that. That said, though, um, I expected this play to run for years and years and years and yeah, years because of school too. groups. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I really thought they were going to bust in all these kids uh, on Wednesdays yeah. and um, and even at night. Um, after all, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 7 o'clock isn't so late. But I really thought it was going to happen because so many kids read this book in school. And this is, um, after all, such a different take on it. It's almost like a sequel that um, that it's amazing to me that, um, it didn't come back. But on that note, interestingly, haven't we read that that's one of the books that's in danger? Oh, that's true, yes. too. <laughs> yes, yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So maybe maybe Rudin took that into account as wow. well. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah. he's whatever you say about him, he's not stupid. No. No, so, no. You know, he's not stupid when it comes to matters like that. He's stupid in many other ways, apparently. But that's right. another story, too. Yeah, yeah. But, and also, it is it is too bad because uh, several people have mentioned, I think maybe even Peter as well, that um, one would have thought that many people would like to see Richard Thomas in mm-hmm. the yeah. show on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Of course, they'll get to see him. You know, those people in those cities where it plays We'll get to see him there, but uh, I, I, I think he would have sold well, at least for a, a limited time on Broadway. So that that's a shame uh, or, or a, a disappointment that people won't get to see him on Broadway. I do think that it could have run uh, and, you know, made a little bit of money, but it wasn't going to be the blockbuster hit that it was. And I think sure, that sure. I think that he wanted to walk away. Uh, and work on other stuff and um, and you know keep a good track record of returns for the investors and not put the investor money back at risk uh, and yes all that's and very also, valid and there is a ton a ton of stuff waiting to come in right now so I think that the uh, the theaters are are hard to come by and you know why, why fight an uphill battle if you can do something else but it is interesting that both uh bartlett share and um mm-hmm. aaron sorkin to aaron sorkin have gone on record as having been i think they used the word blindsided mm. yeah by this mm-hmm. decision and obviously are very unhappy about it so uh but you know they're not the producers mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um i still felt uh, the, there was a lot of life left in this production, and um, I'm very sorry for everybody uh, who lost jobs as a result of um, something far beyond their control. But I found this a very worthwhile production. I also, um, I, I saw it twice, and uh, when I go to London in the fall, I may see it again there. I, I yeah. liked it that much. I will admit that I seem to like it a lot more than a lot of people did. Um, yeah, me included. But, <laughs> yes, I know. I didn't <laughs> want to mention that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay. um, but again, you know, having uh, read the book and seen the movie just before I, I, I went to see the show, really packed a wall up and made me see um, exactly what Aaron Sor- Sorkin did that I admired so much. So um, it, uh, we haven't heard the last of this adaptation. Sorry, Michael. We haven't heard the last of this adaptation. Uh, it will uh, certainly be produced here, there, and everywhere. I, I, I'm certain it's going to have great regional theater following for the same reason I just gave. You know, mm-hmm. school kids are going to come. Now, as you say, yes, um, it has been banned in some communities. And uh, so I'm not saying we're going to see it in states that um, tend, tend to have the color red. But, um, but otherwise, I think we are going to see it quite a bit. And I'm glad we will. But also that banning, if anything, might create yeah. more interest. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> sure. <laughs> Boy, people are funny. Hilarious. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's move into our review section. Um, Michael, you got over to the Hayes Theater to see The Kite Runner. Peter talked about it last week. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I really don't have much to add on this one. I I kind of felt like I was moved by the story, but not by the way it was executed. <laughs> um, I, I just didn't think that uh, it was adapted very well to the stage. But I'm speaking as someone who has not read the book. So, uh, so I can't judge it in that sense. I'm just judging by the way it went. For one thing, I think it would have helped greatly if it had been cut and done in one act. I, I didn't think mm. that it needed to be spread out over two acts. And it was, um, 
it was oh well it was over two two and a half hours with the intermission i I don't remember the exact running time uh i didn't think the story uh while it was interesting i didn't think that it needed that length to be told in and i really um i really was quite disappointed in the performance of uh of Amir Arasan in the central role. I I didn't understand what he was doing. He he chose to um, give a very, uh, I, I would say, almost a minimalist performance. I, I, I think maybe he was trying to react against making these, the whole thing appear too melodramatic and too over-sentimental, but I thought he went too far in the other direction. And who knows, maybe Giles Croft, the director, had a hand in that as well. But I, I really did not enjoy his performance at all. And that was a surprise to me for, uh, you know, for someone in, in a position like that, in a role like that, you don't usually find uh, people, actors in the leading roles of place to be wanting in that way. But I, I really, I really did. So I, um, I, I guess maybe I should try to get to the book at some point. Uh, it's interesting to read the source material after you see a show. Uh, mm. uh, and see what, well, you know, what was changed and what wasn't and how it was adapted and see if you think it was done well or not. Uh, so I think I might try to do that. But I, um, I, I gather that the reviews in general of this uh, have not been that great. Mm. And I don't think it's what they were hoping for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, the Kite Runner is playing over at the Hayes. Um, for and through October 30th, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Peter, you got over to the Park Avenue Armory to see Orestia. Uh, so tell us about this. Well, um, it's done in modern dress, and in a strange way that works against the property because it does deal with the fact that a, a, a prophecy has been made that if Agamemnon doesn't kill his daughter Iphigenia, then indeed, um, bad things are going to happen with the war. So uh, you know, I, the idea of a prophecy and uh, soothsayer type thing, and that doesn't jive with modern sensibilities. But once you get past that, and after all, that's only the first part of the play, though, of course, this is a long evening. They advertise it as 345. I count to 325. So let that be a consolation if you go there. Hmm. Um, so uh, if, if you get past that, and I did, um, it's, it's a worthwhile evening, mostly for Anastasia Hill. I guess it's Hill. It's H-I-L-L-E. I'll say Hill. But anyway, she's Clytemnestra, and she is sensational. Um, Hell hath no fury, like a woman who's like a mother whose child has been killed by her husband. And while two wrongs don't make a right, um, <laughs> it's funny because the the uh, gentleman who plays um, Agamemnon is Angus Wright. Uh, while two wrongs don't make a right, she is going to uh, kill him as revenge. Uh, so this is Robert Icke's adaptation of the famous trilogy, but those who know their Greek tragedies will notice I'm talking about Iphigenia and um, and what happens to her. And that's really taken in from uh, Euripides' play, Iphigenia and Aulis. Um, I remember some wag once saying, there's a little Iphigenia in Aulis. Well, anyway, so... Um, so there we have good. I'm sorry. It took me a minute. Good, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> As Mrs. Lovett would say. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so this, that's, that's part of a show too, which is why um, it, it's so long. Now this is not by any stretch of any imagination, the Agamemnon that um, many might've seen at Lincoln center back in the seventies or anything like that. This is Robert Icke's new version with contemporary language. And um, so you don't get the, um, the Aeschylus and Euripides um, language. You get Robert (laughs) Icke's language and what he does at the end, he actually has a courtroom trial and that's kind of interesting as well. So, um, so I, I have to say that uh, what really made it worthwhile, as good as Angus Wright was, as good as um, the kid playing um, Vigenia was, and indeed two do. So um, uh, you you may see the one I, I saw or you won't. Um, but whew, this Anastasia Hill, whoa, whoa, 
Boy, is she something. Um, it's, it's a very athletic performance, ironically enough. I mean, even at one point after she um, kills uh, her husband, she has to lug him across the stage. Good mm. Lord. Um, so, uh, but there's also a good deal of video where you uh, see close-ups of what's going on every now and then. And in her biggest scene, you certainly get the close-up and uh, the agony on her face and the agony in her body language is quite eloquent. So this is in rep with Hamlet, uh, which we talked about a few weeks ago. It runs till August 13th. The Park Avenue Armory is a big place. Uh, If you have um, a seat that's um, row D, you might feel like you're in row J. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, It's stadium seating. And uh, it's... uh, it's quite a thing to be there in the Park Avenue Armory to see what they do every time they do a show there because it's never the same. It, right. it really is this enormous black box when you think of it, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and that's what it really is. And here it is really being put to very good use in uh, an, an event that really is far far more riveting than many might give uh, any credit to because people say oh great tragedy oh my god no i don't <laughs> masks togas no no nothing like that at all mm-hmm. nothing like that at all which will please some people and not please purists but nevertheless they're doing the best they can over there and their best is very good indeed all right so that is uh playing through august 13th and we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well Michael, uh, you are the last of the trio of us to get to the new production of Into the Woods at the St. James. Uh, so tell us, what do you think of this? Well, first of all, you know, with different variations of COVID still popping up, I, I wasn't sure who I was going to see uh, because they've had uh, several people in and out of the show recently. Um, but I guess I got relatively lucky. Uh, the only absentee on the night I went was Joshua Henry. Uh, and Jason Forbach went on uh, as Rapunzel's prince, and he was really terrific. I had only seen him in Les Mis, which doesn't exactly give a lot of room for comedy. <laughs> uh, you know. And so I was delighted that he was so funny as Rapunzel's prince, and he was a great team with Cheyenne Jackson, who is new to the show, um, or... Uh, as a temporary replacement, right? For Gavin Creel. Yeah, a week or two at most, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, For Gavin Creel, who is off doing something else. Uh, And it was great to see Cheyenne back on Broadway. It's been quite a few years. And I I guess he's been through a lot career-wise and personal-wise. But he... um, He looked great. He sounded phenomenal. I forgot how quite how good his voice is. And he always had uh, that great comic ability, which comes to the fore here. I would say it's a more subtle performance than Gavin's, but equally effective on its own terms. And uh, if you see either one of them, I think you'll be very happy. Uh, So don't worry about that. Uh, The whole thing was such a a joy to see it again after I had seen it at city center Uh, the audience response is still ecstatic. Mm -hmm. Um, Such a phenomenon to me. I was surprised when I saw that at city center, but it's been pointed out to me. uh, I guess I hadn't realized how often, how frequently this show is done in schools and community theaters and those kind of situation. So lots of people have seen the show or even been in it. Um, And that accounts for a lot of the ecstatic reception, I think. Plus, on top of that, it was made into a movie by Disney. Uh, And so that's even though it wasn't a smash hit blockbuster movie, still millions of people saw it. Uh, So when you add those two facts together with the recent demise of Sondheim and people just you know, wanting to continue to celebrate his work, plus the fact that this cast is so excellent, I guess that really accounts for this ecstatic, ecstatic reception that this show is getting uh, to the point where I, I thought it was a foregone conclusion that it was going to extend. And indeed, it has, uh, so, you know, for at least another eight weeks, I can almost guarantee you it'll probably go after the, further than that. Yeah, so we'll the ex- 
the extension goes through October 16th, uh, which is a very odd date for an extension. But, right, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I assume that they're stacking up the tickets to sell through October 16th with the in- uh, with people who feel as though they must see it are going to have to buy the tickets for that and that they'll extend through uh, the end of the year, maybe into the first week of January. Right, uh, and I then think exit so. the St. James. So we'll s- see what happens there. But that's a, it's a crazy odd date, October sixteenth. That's an extension. Yeah, I wouldn't. And you you can cut this if I've said this already. I don't remember. Um, and that is the fact that when I was writing my book, let's put it on a musical. Did we talk about this? I don't recall. Okay, so when I was writing my book, let's put on a musical. Uh, the critic um, for Show Music Magazine, who did not sign his name said um, that it was just utterly ridiculous for me to write that um, kids could do Into the Woods. Yeah. Um, does he <laughs> really think that um, the kids could possibly master Sondheim's uh, music? <clears throat> wow. Um, yes, it, it, the proof is in the pudding, and indeed, uh, they can. So, uh, But as Kyle Wall now says out in Young Performers Workshop in Hackettstown, if you don't tell kids something's impossible, they just go out and do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, I think, yeah, I, uh, as to what James just said, I wouldn't be surprised if around Labor Day sometime uh, you might get a, there might be a press release about another extension. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think we saw that the piano lesson moved from the St. James um, opening to the, the, to the Barrymore to, for, to make uh, the St. James available for Into the Woods to extend. And I, I also do believe that they'll have to be some cast changes because uh, some of these – I think that that was – we expected the Into the Woods extension cast change announcement immediately after the piano lesson press release. And I understand it was held up uh, due to contracts and negotiations trying to get everybody's ca- ca- calendars lined up. Uh, so maybe that'll be another thing about the October 16th deadline. It, it might be that uh, everybody's ca- calendars – might uh, need to be reworked and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the production, and uh, and we've all seen the three of us have seen some sort of different cast. I think. Well, actually, Peter, <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter and I, Peter and I were there on the same night, so right. I think we saw the same cast. I think we so, did. Yeah, <laughs> I do want to uh, again say how wonderful, how wonderful Sarah Bareilles is in this show, especially for someone who really was not established as an actress. Uh, you know, but even even if she was, uh, I would say that she's really great in this role. I think she hits every note correctly and is very it's a very moving and very funny performance as needed. And of course, the singing is wonderful. So I, I just think that this has been an absolute triumph for her, this production. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for her. I, I had not gotten to see her in Waitress, as I think I mentioned. Uh, now I'm really sorry that I didn't. Uh, but she's great. Um, Cheyenne, as I said, is great. Patina Miller is fantastic as the witch. And I had not realized how gorgeous she is because I really only knew her from Pippin. Uh, you know, <laughs> which the accent wasn't on that. Uh, so I, and I think that helps. I think the witch really, if, if she's not gorgeous after the transformation, it doesn't really work with the story. Uh, so I, I thought that was a huge plus, but her acting and her singing were all fantastic. And, uh, and lastly, just um, praise for Rob Berman as the musical director. I, w- I was actually sitting there watching the show with Michael Levine and we both, almost simultaneously turned to each other at one point and uh, commented on how precise uh, all of the, uh, the diction was and the articulation of the, the, uh, the instruments uh, in the orchestra. It just, it seemed very, very, very ultra, ultra professional and so, so well done. So Rob's um, I think his tenure as the head of the, the music department at city center encores has just officially come to an end but i hope we see a lot more of him and hear a lot more from him in you know on broadway and elsewhere and maybe you know maybe come back to encores as a as a guest conductor of course Hmm. 
So that is uh, Into the Woods. And as we mentioned, October 16th is the new closing date. So uh, get over there and get your tickets if you are able to. So that sort of wraps it up for this morning. Before we get on to trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us in many ways. Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, plays us, uh, or anywhere that you can listen to find our podcasts. So, Peter, what do we have in this week's trivia? Well, I, last week I was looking for a five-word title of two songs, both of which made their debuts this century. The first four words of each song are identical. Only the last word in each song is different. Those last words are antonyms. Each song is a duet, and the same performer was involved in both shows' productions. However, in the first instance, he duetted with a man, and the second, he duetted with a woman. For the first, he won a Tony. For the second, he wasn't even nominated. Who is he? What are the shows? What are the almost identically titled songs? Nathan Lane, who won a Tony for the producers, sang, Where Did We Go Right? with Matthew Broderick. Some years later in The Addams Family, for which he wasn't nominated, he sang, Where Did We Go Wrong? with B.B. Newworth. Emails from both Tony Janicki and Paul Witte were timed at 11.15 a.m., but Tony's arrived first. They were followed by Juliet Green, Josh Israel, Ian James Tweedy, Brigadude, Mike Meany, Deb Popple, Mike Iwanis, Dave Law, and Robert Lobiondo. This week's question, a character of great importance who was first mentioned in a newspaper article in the 90s and would appear in a wildly popular TV series before the decade was out, could be said to be the shortened name of a character of great importance in a Pulitzer Prize-winning musical. What is the name of each character and the property in which each appears? Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael... Yes. In the musical moment, are you going to be telling us about something lesser or something more? <laughs> well, I guess it's both. <laughs> yes. Um, I have been cast as Harry the Horse All right. <laughs> in a production of Guys and Dolls that will be performed by the In the Wings Theater Company at the St. George Theater on Staten Island, uh, September 22nd through 25. And that might seem like a short run, but that theater... Uh, I'm not sure how many, if they're going to sell the whole theater, but it seats 3,000. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> or at least originally it did. Uh, so uh, we'll see. We'll see about that. I, uh, I really wanted to do it because I wanted to work with this director. Plus, I've never done Guys and Dolls, and it's one of my favorite shows. Plus, I have never performed on the stage of this theater, which is a wonderful old movie palace type of theater that um, really had fallen into disrepair. And I was convinced it was going to be Mm. torn down, but somehow people uh, took it over and got funding for it. And they've been renovating it step by step over the past, well, 25 years or so. And it's really starting to look just beautiful. It's used for a lot of wonderful stuff. I saw the Midtown men perform there. Um, Tony Bennett, has before had performed there wow. yeah no it's 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 really pretty pretty great and the great news is it's it's uh, literally i would say about a 10 minute walk from the ferry okay. uh so you don't have to get on a bus or or anything uh anyway uh so i'm looking forward to that we've already started rehearsals and i thought um to celebrate the show we would use two selections from the original cast recording uh the opening is the runyon land music as it's so called into the fugue for tin horns uh and then the closer is luck be a lady as sung by robert alda and the male company which i i too you know i mean the score is just so fantastic and luck be a lady i've always loved that number there's something so uh, there's a wonderful tension about it and the orchestrations are phenomenal uh, just listen to the strings in the orchestra as Robert Aldis singing Luck Be a Lady. It's it's just amazing. So uh, this is our tribute, my tribute to that great score. 
All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck, let a gentleman see How nice a dame you can be I know the way you've treated other guys you've been with Luck, be a lady with me A lady doesn't leave her escort It isn't fair, it isn't nice A lady doesn't wander all over the room And blow on some other guy's dice So let's keep the party polite Never get out of my sight Stick with me, baby, I'm the fella you came in with Luck be a lady Luck be a lady Luck be a lady tonight Luck be a lady tonight Luck be a lady tonight Luck if you've ever been a lady to begin with Luck be a lady tonight Luck let a gentleman see How nice a dame you can be I know the way you've treated other guys you've been with A lady wouldn't flirt with strangers She'd have a heart, she'd have a soul A lady wouldn't make little snake eyes at me When I've bet my life on this roll So let's keep the party polite Never get out of my sight Stick with me, baby, I'm the fella you came in with Luck be a lady Luck be a lady Luck be a lady Luck be a lady